Welcome along to another episode of the Sporting Heroes podcast. My name's Matt Jones and the guy that I'm about to speak to has spent many years playing as a professional footballer here in England. He's won numerous promotions in doing so as well. His clubs include the likes of Berry, uh, Huddersfield, Blackpool, Blackburn, Crystal Palace, Birmingham and he's currently a midfielder for Tranmere as well as for Guyana. It's a warm welcome to Neil Dans. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you on. And uh, we'll start by having a little chat about uh, your life and your career. And uh, was a footballer what you always wanted to be when you were growing up? Yeah, um, obviously from a young age, I, I was definitely interested. But funny, funnily enough, it not my first um, love at first. Um, my dad was obviously European skateboard champion um, when I was young, so... Obviously, yeah, like every young boy, you know, he's one of following your father's footsteps. So um, I jumped on the skateboard really first at a young age and was really, I was really dedicated to it. And obviously was, was, was probably doing a lot better than I should be from the age and stuff. But then um, I started playing football in school with my friends and that. And once I kicked the ball, it was just no going back, really. It's an amazing story. I never knew this. So, so tell me a little bit about your dad being a, a great skateboarder. Yeah, um, he used to compete all around the world, obviously, um, against some of the greats like Tony Hawk and people like that. And obviously being European number one, um, he got to compete at some of the biggest tournaments he was around the world and stuff. And funnily enough, he, he was also a back and singer and dancer in the Eurovision Song Contest. And... Um, yeah, so when because obviously I like my music myself, and I'm currently just um, studying audio engineering and music production. It's um, it's probably something that's ran through the genes in terms of sport and music. Man of many talents, then. <laughs> At that time, as well, because um, you're only a handful of years older than me. At that time, that's when kind of skateboarding was really coming into the public eye as well, I guess, with the video games like Tony Hawk's that you've already mentioned. So uh, what what a time it must have been to, to be following him as such. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't even think he probably realises it's such a big sport now. And obviously he was one of the pioneers at the time and because it wasn't as commercial, he wasn't skateboarding on TV. And then you look at it now, it's absolutely it's massive, especially in the States and stuff. Um, so I think just in the knowledge that he actually was one of the best in the world and that was um, when you look back now you, you do think to yourself well Absolutely so you, you start with that but eventually get into football at what age did it become realistic that you could make a life and a career out of football? Um, it's crazy like you say when I first started I'd never actually played for a football team until I was 11 I just used to play um in obviously the local youth clubs and, and stuff around the corner from me, but I'd never played on grass till I turned 11. And obviously a lot of young kids were, were starting for the school boys at like age eight and stuff like that. So it, it all happened really quick for me. Um, I was 11 and played my first Sunday league game and scored seven in it. And straight away, that was the first time I competed against other people really on grass and start, oh, whoa, I must be actually quite good at this. And then, um, literally within six months, I was picked up by Liverpool Football Club, and, and obviously um, did all me, all me, be youth there, and ended up getting selected to go to the national school at Lillestrøm with the likes of Jermaine Defoe, Leon Britton, Joe Cole, 
Um, so, yeah, once I, once I got selected for that uh, and I had to move away at 14, then it sort of became uh, real. You made a big decision as well to leave Liverpool a couple of years later at quite a young age as well, which a lot of people look at young footballers these days and often say, well, they, they don't want to move to a, a so-called lesser club if they're at one of the big ones. But but you decided to make that move to Blackburn for the best of your career. Yeah, not just it wasn't just that. Um, I think, um, obviously, at the time, um, Blackburn were doing really well. We had a, we had I made my debut under Graham Souness. There was the likes of Andy Cole, Damien Duff, Dwight York, David Dunn. They were, we were, I actually made my debut in Europe. So um, it, I think when people look back, they think, why did you leave to go to Blackburn? Um, thinking at the time that, um, but at the time, they were probably um, just as high as Liverpool for that, not in terms of history, but just at that time. And don't get me wrong, I love Liverpool and I do look back and sometimes think, whatever if I would have stayed and stuff like that. But um at the time it was it was just a, a decision I'd made based on where where I seen myself getting an opportunity and obviously I was I was smaller I was smaller when I was like sixteen so um I'm not sure if Liverpool knew that I was gonna develop as much as what I did in terms of growth and physicality and stuff and um like one when I spoke to obviously back then at the time that at that age, they can say anything and mention the word first team and you sort of straight in. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I made that decision and thankfully I did get to play under uh, Liverpool great, which is Graeme Souness. Dean Saunders was there at the time as a reserve manager, so I had a really good education there. Absolutely. So you spend a few years at Blackpool, uh, Blackburn, sorry. Then you move to Blackpool on loan. You have uh, Hartlepool, Colchester before making the move uh, to Colchester permanently, and then you get to Birmingham. And it's with Birmingham that you manage to get uh, back into uh, the Premier League. I think I'm right in saying. What was that like yeah. for you? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Obviously, because I'd, I'd moved to Colchester, and obviously I was just at a young age, and I, I had to take the step down. Um, to obviously get regular football and like what you said before um, you look in this day and age a lot of players are comfortable just staying sort of where they are at the comfort of the big clubs uh, but I made the decision to sign for Colchester and move obviously a long way away um, but I was offered a longer deal there but I decided to only accept a one year deal because I was confident enough that I could go there and, and sort of make me, make me mark because I was just I was so determined and that I, I was going to get back up to at least a higher level. So stuff. So then, obviously, after that season, getting promoted with Colchester, um, and then and scoring 16 goals that season got me to move to Birmingham, who had just been relegated from the Premier League, and then to go there and get um, promoted again. So it was back-to-back promotions for me um, in my first two full seasons of professional football was unbelievable. And if you look at your career from then on, um, as soon as you, you leave Colchester, you spend the next uh, decade in the Championship or in the Premier League with Crystal Palace yeah. and Leicester. Uh, you play for Bolton, Huddersfield and Bristol in the Championship as well. Are there any games or, or moments that really stand out as highlights? And I know you've got uh, a, a number of promotions on your CV, but are, are there any particular matches that stand out? Um, I think... I think... One of the matches um, that stands out was when we was at Crystal Palace and um, 
the club had just gone into administration and we were um, fighting for the playoffs. We were doing really well in the league and stuff. And then we were flying up to Newcastle to play at St. James's Park. And when we landed, we found out that we'd gone into administration. So all the boys were really down. That game, um, I think we ended up losing the game 1-0 to Newcastle. But then the, the game at home, which was the first game since we'd gone into administration, it was a real disappointment around the, around the club and stuff. And um, I forget who was we playing, but I ended up scoring two and we won the game and just got us back to sort of getting that confidence back throughout the club. And just the lift it, it gave the club at the time um, was... I remember when I look at the highlights and I see the celebrations on there now, like it was just pure passion and frustration at the same time because of what was going on. Um, so that does stick out in my mind. But I'd say probably the, the biggest one is obviously scoring the first ever goal for Guyana at international level for him um, in a major tournament at the Gold Cup. And some had just gone to obviously score a goal that um, means so much uh, to a nation. And, and uh, the progress of, of the football in a country like that um, just really gives me a feeling that I couldn't explain. We could go on and on about your career uh, for a long time because there are so many achievements uh, to pick through. But we will finish before getting on to your sporting hero with international football because you make your debut uh, for Guyana in 2015. So you'd have been 32, 33 at the time. Um, yeah. Did you ever think you'd have a chance at international football before that call came? Um, I I didn't I I did and I didn't so not obviously not for England and stuff but um, I'd always tried to contact the the guy on the federation and stuff but there was a long period where there was no football being played because of political reasons and stuff and then um, I'd I'd never got the chance to meet my grandfather because he passed away before I was born so I'd never really I didn't know too much about Guyana or the country or anything obviously I'd never visited so when the opportunity came I just thought what an opportunity to actually go and um, go and experience obviously the country where my grandfather was born and, and just see see everything and go when I when I did make that decision it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life because I've had so many experiences through the international football and through off the off getting to know the country and it was something that has just been amazing. Absolutely right. It's Radio City Talk. My name's Matt Jones and Neil Dan's joining me uh, to pick his sporting hero. So let's get on to uh, your sporting hero aspect. We've already talked about uh, the fact that your dad was obviously a big influence when you were growing up and, and a great sportsman as well. Who would it have been that you idolised uh, from a footballing point of view, though? Um, from a footballing point of view, for me, it was John Barnes. Um, I think... Obviously, everyone knows the impact um, he had on the game, um, not just football-wise, but cultural-wise and, and open up doors and stuff. And obviously, uh, being being a young black kid from Liverpool and seeing um, someone like John Barnes like, playing the way he used to play just sort of inspired a lot of kids into becoming football, footballers. And I was definitely one of them. And, um, and I know John well now and... Um, so when I see him now, it's weird to think that like he he is one of my heroes, and I've, but I've never actually told him that. Um, but like he he did so, much, especially a kid like me, um, growing up on the streets of Toxteth, it was just he 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 had so much not just ability but charisma and stuff, and um, really did help help me 
We'll talk about that uh, in a mo. I just want to know, first of all, what was it like watching him play when he was at our absolute peak? Um, unbelievable. I mean, way way before, obviously, the modern day the modern day footballers were doing all the step overs and stuff like that. I think John was just one of them players that just played with that real expression and um, just the way he used to glide past players effortlessly was just something that really stuck out to me and that was just sort of when I was a kid I remember being in the streets and uh, practicing and, and pretending I was John Barnes um, obviously without the left football um, no he, he just he, he played with such a such a, a freedom and that's something that's the sort of play that I just absolutely love to watch and then we talk about the influence that he had off the field as well. And we all know how big a problem, sadly, racism was uh, during the 80s when he was uh, coming to Liverpool. Um, how many doors do you think people like John Barnes have opened within English football? Um, I think so many. Um, so many because, like you say, the, because of the way society was in them days, probably the opportunities wasn't there as much. And um, him along with the likes of Howard Gale, who used to coach me when I was a kid as well. Um, from from the age of like 11, I used to go to Howard Gale's coaching. And um, at the time, I didn't know, because I was only really young, so I didn't know how much of um, an effect he had, on, he had on the game. And being Liverpool's first ever black player was, it's crazy to think that it's not really that long ago in terms of the whole, how long football's been going. And players like him and John Barnes really did... Um, inspire young kids like us to show that um, it could be done and like you say you just work hard and thankfully um, today's society has progressed and it's come a long way since then and um, I think if you look ask any uh, players of ethnicity from their clubs there'll always be someone that they would have looked up to because they've seen that there was a way that they could actually um, go on and do things and uh, you've obviously met him on numerous occasions. You, t- you say you haven't told him how much uh, he did inspire you when you were a kid, but were you nervous the first time you did speak to him? Um, no, I, it was weird. I wasn't because, like I say, because I'd, because I'd idolised him as a kid. So I sort of, like I had all his posters on the wall. It sort of felt like I knew. <laughs> it's weird, weird <laughs> to say, like... Um, I'm probably maybe coming across as more stalker like but you know, was, like I said it was um it was weird it felt like I knew him and because I could relate to him so much it was just it was easy and he's, he's just such a good guy anyway that he, he, he makes it easy and I, I suppose anyone who's ever met him will will tell you that he's just a good person so um it didn't feel weird at all. Great stories and a great person to have as your sporting hero as well, Neil. Um, thank you very much for sharing uh, your memories of uh, a wonderful career, which is very much still ongoing as well, and for uh, picking your sporting hero with us here on Radio City Talk this afternoon. Thank you very much for having me. Tranmere midfielder Neil Dans picking his sporting hero on the Sporting Heroes podcast. And what a guy and what a player to go for in the great John Barnes as well. Right, if you hit the subscribe button, you can get a brand new podcast in your box every single week as and when we release them. On top of that, you can go back and listen to some of the brilliant ones I've done in the past as well with the likes of Chris Kirkland, who went for Steve Grizovic. I also talked through some of the highlights of his career, including playing for Liverpool and England. I've been joined by Jamie Carragher, Dennis Bett, 
Brett uh, of Widnes, Lee Breers of Warrington, uh, Jay Harris, also formerly of Tranmere as well. There are loads and loads on there. Kevin Ratcliffe, another one, going for the great Alan Ball. So if you fancy some of them, just go and listen to them back on the Sporting Heroes podcast feed.